tempted to believe God does not know when the storms arise. Don't forget we walk by faith and not by sight. Take your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12, verse 42. This is a Bible preaching and teaching church. We stand on an old-time religion without apology. We stand for the old King James Bible. In this world, old oftentimes means out of date and archaic or maybe not useful, but not when it comes to the old King James Bible. God has used that old book and still using that book uh, 400-plus years now. Uh, it is. I still believe this after all of the education. After all of my education. I still believe it's the most accurate English Bible on the planet. Now, I'm not saying that because I'm loyal to anything. I'm loyal to what's the best truth, the most truth, the most accurate truth. And after looking at all the different arguments in all the different directions, uh, I'm going to tell you I'm sticking with the King James Bible. I'm going to die with it. And uh, I hope when I'm buried, my wife puts it on my chest. I won't be there. But hopefully he puts it on whatever's left of me and buries it with me. My dad, when I buried him, I put a gospel track, a chick track, this was your life, in his pocket right here. I figured the resurrection, he's going to look, what in the world? But uh, and on my mother, I put two different day glow color socks. I know, I know it was bad, but that she won't be surprised at all that her kid did that to her. But uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 42, the queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. Obviously, the context is the generation Jesus was present with them. He's talking about that generation which he was born, which he manifested himself to, which he presented himself to them. The Bible says he came into his own, and his own received him not. His own meaning, the Jewish nation, he came unto them as a Jew, as their Messiah. They had so long looked forward to. Whew. So long, all from Genesis 3.15. They call it the, the scarlet thread that runs through the Old Testament. He's mentioned in every book. All the prophets, both major and minor prophets, prophesied of that coming Messiah. Isaiah more than clearer than anybody in Isaiah 53, the Messiah is going to come someday. Now, they had waited and waited thousand, a couple thousand or so years, and here he is, and they don't recognize him. They miss him. Why? They had developed in their mind a Messiah. They had visualized and created in their mind what the Messiah should look like, how he should talk, what his education should be, and what he should do. And when Jesus came, which was God's Messiah, right? It didn't match up with their expectations. And when it didn't, when he didn't match up with their expectations, they rejected him. They said it couldn't be him. What a sad day. They miss their Messiah. But what's crazy, we Gentiles, and I say we Gentiles, speaking of a family of people, 
We didn't have any expectations of a Messiah. We didn't even look for a Messiah. But when we heard he was here, we said we accept him. And so the Bible says, when Jesus was presented to the Jews, they turned away from him. And so he says, I'm turning to the Gentiles. And so he turned to the Gentiles. That's us. And we said, yes, we'll receive him. We know it's him. And trusted Christ as our Savior by, by the, if I may say, by the millions historically. Amazing what false expectations will do to you. Cause you to miss something real good. And so, it said the Queen of the South, I'll explain, that's the uh, called the Queen of Sheba. She'll rise up in judgment of this generation, she'll condemn it, and she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, probably came from Babylon, Babylon area, which was a long way from Jerusalem. And behold, and this is the sermon right here, behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Father, help us now. May this be not a work of man or it'll just come and go. But may this message, the foolishness of preaching, may it please you to save them that believe. Help us not to miss Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Now this statement here, behold, a greater than Solomon is here. That hit me. That hit me. That has gotten bold print for me when I read that. A greater than Solomon is here. This was big, brother. Now, for you people who don't know the Bible very well, that's not a very big statement. That statement actually just it comes and goes. Don't mean much. But I'm going to try to take you back into the Old Testament and show you a little bit of who Solomon uh, is and was. And, 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 how big was Solomon? Because he said, a greater than Solomon is here. Solomon, in the Bible, was the greatest king Israel ever knew. May have been the greatest king of the world, or the world has ever known. Take your Bibles for First Kings. If you're not familiar with the Bible, you can't negotiate or navigate in the Bible. Don't spend your time trying to find a book. Just listen Go to the web, and you can hear this again. This will be on iTunes by Wednesday. It'll be on our web, gospelbaptistchurch.com by Wednesday, and you can hear it again or again or whatever you want to do. Uh, you can do that. You can hear it, hear it or, or see it. If you want to see my ugly face, you can actually go and look at it on the web. I will keep the roaches out of your house if you play it on the TV set. They will run when they see me. But uh, 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29, and through 34, and I'm going to do a little Bible study at the beginning of this with you, and once I finish the Bible study, we'll see how God applies this. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much, and largeness of heart, even as the sand that is upon the seashore. Um, literary, literary, that's a literary term, right? That's a literary technique. It's to get your attention that he had a whole lot of largeness of heart as the sand of the sea. Hello? Whoa, that's big. And, uh, and Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the east country. Because, you know, China and, and, and in that area of Babylon, they were known for special wisdom. 
and exceptional wisdom, uh, as the Queen of Sheba also thought, and, 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 and also at that time, Egypt. And even to this day, Egypt is known for its wisdom. How they build the pyramids. How they put them, obelisks, obli- how they put them things up. Obelisks, how they put them up. I mean, how did they move that heavy stone? Uh, where did it come from? How did they cut that stuff where you can't put a piece of paper between some of it? I mean, anybody that's worked with material knows that that's, that's a feat that even today they wonder. If you start looking at the mathematics of the Great Pyramid, it will wow you. I mean, the measurements of the Great Pyramid, high, it's just, I, never, I read a three or four page article on that that the mathematicians did, and they're, they're just scratching their head without the instruments like we have today of GPS. How they did that is not known. There's not a technique that people know today that they could do that without a GPS. But I don't believe they had GPS at that time. But they did have wisdom. They had wisdom. It says she, this Solomon excelled the wisdom of all the East Country. He excelled the wisdom of all Egypt. For he is wiser, just to sum, sum it all up, than all men. Uh, and, and all of those people that are mentioned there from all the nations around. You thought I was going to try to pronounce all that, didn't you? I'll leave that up to Alexander Scorby. And he spake 3,000 proverbs. Proverbs are truth. You've read a lot of them in the book of Proverbs. And his songs were 1,005. And he spake of trees. Some, some, I mean, songs were some of those turned into psalms. Songs, psalms. So, so Solomon contributed to the book of psalms. Uh, he contributed to the book of Proverbs. He didn't write the whole book, but he contributed to most of it is from him. Uh, he wrote Songs of Solomon, all of it. He wrote Ecclesiastes, all of it. I mean, the man wrote two books of the Bible, plus contributed to Psalms and to Proverbs. I would say that's pretty big. He made the book. Don't you think it's pretty big to make the book? And to make that much of the book? That's big. And he spake of trees and of cedar tree that is in Lebanon under the hyssop and bringeth out of the wall, growth out of the wall and spake of the beasts and the, and the fowl and creeping things and the fishes. And there came all the people to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth which heard of his wisdom. They wanted to know about this man Solomon. Everybody wanted to hear what was going on. Now where did all this stuff come from? It came from God. It didn't come from Solomon. It came from God. If you go back to 1 Kings chapter 3, and I'm not going to read it because of time, but in verses 1 through 10, it describes how Solomon, Solomon was dedicating his temple. David wanted to build the temple. David had been a man of war. He had shed the blood. David is, uh, you know, Saul had slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And, and, and because he was a man of war, God did not want him to build the temple for him. So he said, your son will build Solomon. Well, what David did is start collecting money, start collecting materials, start collecting gold, start collecting silver, start collecting wood, start collecting stone, start getting the thing ready so that when David died, his son Solomon could pick right up, and he did. He picked right up. Now, and he began. Now, at the dedication of the, he started uh, getting ready to dedicate the temple. He went to a place called Gibeon, uh, and it was a place of worship. And he went to a place called Gibeon, and he, and he worshiped God. And, and, and God, God came to him in a dream, and he said, he said, ask of me what you want. Now, how would you like that? Ask of me. What, what, if, what if God came to you today and said, ask of me, what do you want? 
I think you ought to be careful. Be careful what you want. Because what you get, you may not want. You know? And, and so he said, well, I love, I love Solomon's attitude. He says, I'm like a little child. I don't even know how to go in or go come in or go out. Now that is humility at that moment in his life. That's big humility. I don't know, even know how to come in and go out. He says, "I don't have the ability to rule this thy people, this great people of yours, this place called Israel." He said, "Would you give me wisdom? Would you give me judgment, ability to have judgment and to know the difference between good and evil?" He didn't ask for, well, we're going to read that here in verse 11. And God said unto him, because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor have you asked life of thine enemies. Now, now i got to say this, that must be pretty common on the mind of people. If you think about yourself, how many here want to live a long time? Don't raise your hand. I mean, if God said, ask me something, say, well, I want to live a thousand years. I want to live a thousand years. I don't know why you'd want to live in this old world a thousand years, but you may ask that. And so he didn't ask long life. He didn't ask riches. Wow. Now, a lot of people would say, I would like to, I, you know, I, one guy said, I've been poor and I've been rich and I like rich. You know, I mean, uh, you know, but, but, but he said, no, 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 didn't ask riches. And he said, well, you didn't ask the life of your enemies. Now, I have no enemies. But he didn't ask the life of his enemies. He didn't have a bitter or vengeful spirit. No, he didn't do that. Please, God, but you asked for thyself, in verse 11, 1 Kings chapter 3, understanding to discern judgment. Be able to make decisions. Be able to know the difference between right and wrong. And 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 anybody that's built a house, I was just talking Abdiel and about building a house, and he survived that process. But anybody that's built a house has to make at least two hundred decisions. And you know, out of two hundred decisions, only about hundred and eighty of them going to be good ones. You're going to make twenty bad decisions. And once you get it in and pay for it, you're going to say, you know, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish I had done different. Your second house, you'll do better. The third house, maybe you'll get it right. I don't know. I, I'm only on my second house. But uh, make a lot of be able to judge between what's right and wrong. Man, that's important. Remember, I just mentioned in my prayer here about all that transgender stuff. It's simply insane. They've lost the ability to make sound judgments. But, but he says, I want to make sound judgments here. I want to make common sense, real sound judgment. And God says, I like that, and I'm going to give that to you. Well, he says in verse 12, Behold, I have done according to thy words. Although I have given thee wise and understanding heart, thou hast none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked. I'm going to give you riches and honor so that there are none be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. Brother, and that was true of Solomon. There was uh, the people under Solomon, they were independent. They were the head of all nations, not the tail. They were the leader, not the follower. They were the lender, not the borrower. They were uh, rich and prosperous. They were powerful. They had prestige among the nations. Solomon wrote books of the Bible. 
God's presence literally came in a form of a cloud called the Shekinah glory. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 13 and 14, it literally dwelt at the temple so that the priest could not stand to minister, it says there, 2 Chronicles 5, 14, uh, to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. Ooh, it don't get better now. The queen of Sheba testified that she had never seen anything like it. In 2 Chronicles chapter 9, verse 5 through 8, if you, want to, if you want to look there, fine, I'll read it. And she said to the king, It was true report which I heard in my own land of thine acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit, I believe not their words. Until I came, and mine eyes have seen it, and behold, one half of the greatness of thy wisdom was not told me, for thou exceedest the fame that I heard. Now, you know in life, that's not usually true. People describe something to you, go see it, and it's about half of what they said. Uh, and she said, it was double what I was told. Happy are thy men, happy are thy servants, which continually before thee and hear thy wisdom Blessed be the Lord thy God that delighteth in thee and set thee on his throne to be the king of the Lord thy God because the God of loved Israel to establish them forever. Therefore made he thy king over them to do judgment and justice. I did a little cogitating and did a little searching. And what would the temple that Solomon built cost if you built it today? Have you ever wondered that? Okay, well, some people who like to deal with figures took the amount of gold, the amount of silver, the amount of some of the more valuable metals, just the amount of the metals that we know that it took to do the temple, it is figured that it would cost just in the, just in the gold, just in the silver, the bronze, et cetera, would be $216 billion, B, billion. Dollars. That's, that's better than Trump's house. $216 billion temple. That, did not, that does not include some of the lesser metals. does not include the stonework. Unbelievable. It does not include the labor. The, the, the Temple of Solomon was one of the seven wonders of the world when it was done. I mean, people would come from afar just to take a look at the temple that really David uh, and Solomon together and God built there in Jerusalem. And you're telling me Jesus stands there with his disciples after knowing what I just told you about Solomon. And, of course, they understood who Solomon was, being Jews mostly there. And he says, one greater than Solomon is here. He didn't look like he was greater than Solomon. He didn't talk like one greater than Solomon necessarily. He didn't have an education like Solomon. He didn't have the formality of uh, certification. I like people when they come up and say, are you guys certified? Jesus wasn't certified and wasn't accredited by anyone. 
He was a carpenter's son born in a little poor town, little village town, less than three, four, five thousand 5,000 people of Bethlehem. Uh, he he, was, he was, uh, had an insignificant, unnoticed birth, except for a few people, the wise men, Herod, and a few others that heard about it, and the star, and a few of the shepherds that saw the star, and all that. But that was a small group of people. The rest of the nation went on did not know what was going on. According, as I, I preach a whole message on this, uh, the title of the message is Jesus Was Ugly. According to Isaiah 53, there was no beauty that we should desire him. I have to say this. According, boy, beauty is so big in our society, isn't it? Good looks is big in our society. Wow, if you're not good looking, you're nothing. And I've been nothing a long time. And most of you join me. Oh, the elite that have everything together, you know. And, and, and God chose to send his son not with that group, not with that upper crust, but to send, send, that, uh, to send his son with a group where we dwell. I am greater than Solomon. You hear what he's telling them? And he's telling you this morning that Jesus, he's saying, I am greater than Solomon. Do you understand what he's telling? Are you, are you going to go through this life and miss Jesus? Are you going to go through this life not knowing who he is? He's saying by saying that one greater than Solomon is here, he's basically saying, do not underestimate me by what I look like. Do not underestimate me by the clothes I wear by my lack of formal education, by my lack of royal family, by my looks, because one greater than Solomon is here. How is he greater than Solomon? Well, he sent the blind away seeing. Luke chapter 18, verse 43, and immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people. When they saw it, they gave him praise. He sent the blind away seeing. He sent the impotent man away with power and strength when he said, rise up, take thy bed, and walk. He sent the 5,000 and the 4,000, which probably were many more than that, which were hungry, away full. And they gathered up the fragments that remained, 12 basketfuls. He sent the thirsty away, quenched. In John 4, 14, but Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. How many in this room born again Christians will say, since you, since you drank of Jesus Christ and have received the blessed Holy Spirit through salvation, that really you have been satisfied? How many will say amen to that? Man, before Jesus entered into my life, I was searching, boy, a ravenous wolf unsatisfied with whatever he ate. You got to know that sin does not satisfy. This world does not satisfy. Its glitz does not satisfy. Its money does not satisfy. Its fame does not satisfy. All you got to do is look at Hollywood. Look at how unhappy those people are. I heard so-and-so went into rehab. I heard so-and-so had a nervous breakdown. I heard so-and-so committed suicide. These are the beautiful people, the ones with riches, with fame. 
Does it not seem unusual to you that the most famous people and the richest people seem to be dying off early through suicide and drug overdoses and things like that? Even the comedian Robin Williams, the guy that made people laugh? Man, that man had to be really, really miserable to hang himself. And how many could we list this morning if we do our research of that group that have hung themselves and have done overdoses and have have committed suicide in various ways? Uh, It just don't add up. If this world satisfies, then those people wouldn't be doing that. Are you going to get that? I hope so. He sent the thirsty away quenched. Jesus Christ has satiated my spiritual thirst. He satisfied my longing soul. I mean it. And it doesn't make any difference how many how much money you got piled up in a bank or how whatever, even in sickness, even in pain, and I know something of pain, you still have the satisfaction that Jesus Christ gives. He sent the bound away free. I think of Lazarus in John 11. He said, loose him and let him go. Oh, that was deep. Loose him and let him go. Death causes people to fear. I, I saw, and I watched these people. You know, I'm, I got the gift of noticing. People like Frank Sinatra, people that, that seemed like they had a uh, honeymoon type of a life where everything they touched turned to, you know, uh, the Midas touch turned to gold and and they were famous, and they were rich, and they were powerful, and yet they all got old. And they all got feeble. Howard Hughes, a little bit going back with some of you old folks. Howard Hughes, the richest man, the genius of a guy, a, a phenomenal inventor, uh, the spruce goose. I always think of him for the spruce goose, but he really invented a lot of other stuff. And, and he couldn't No matter how he tried, he couldn't keep a grip on this old world, could he? He sent a tormented and ashamed away comfort. I think the woman caught in adultery, John 8. Here she was caught in adultery. Have you ever wondered about that, the woman caught in adultery? The Bible says that she was caught in the very act. Now, if you're caught in the very act, there was a man there. Where was he? I'll tell you where he was. It's a man's world. And they weren't going to condemn the man. They let him go. They took the woman, brought him before Jesus. Thought maybe he could somehow uh, make a mistake or not do it right kind of a judgment. He sent a tormented and ashamed woman away when he said, uh, she said, uh, no man, does anyone condemn you? And she said, no man, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Brother, we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, receive him as our personal Savior. The, 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 uh, the testimony of a truly born-again believer is they will not want to go back into the old cesspool they came out of. They'll not want to go back into the trying that old. Go and sin no more. He sent her away comforted. He sent the bereaved and heartbroken away with joy and gladness. I'm thinking of the old, uh, you know, Jesus, when he came to a funeral procession, he ruined the whole thing. In Luke chapter 7, verse 14 16, uh, the widow's son, uh, this widow had an only son, and he died, and they were carrying him out to bury him. And Jesus came up to that procession, and 
and he re stopped the thing and he said to them, young man, I say unto thee, arise. Praise God, when he was at Lazarus' tomb, he said, Lazarus, come forth. Or every grave in that whole cemetery, they would have risen up and come out. Wherever, wherever Jesus is, there's life, not death. He sent, the, he sent the, those who were grieving, and he'll do that to you too. The Bible says fear came upon them all. They glorified God when that widow's son got up. It would. Wouldn't that be something? He sent the long, sad, and sick away whole and rejoicing. I think of a woman with a 12-year issue of blood. She had had evidently a child or something and had a hemorrhaging situation where she was extremely anemic and she couldn't stop the bleeding. And as she was barely able to function, she spent all of her money on doctors trying to get them to help her and they couldn't help her at that time, had no way to help her. Finally, out of desperation, in a man's world, she made her way through and, and touched the garment of the Lord Jesus, and he stopped and said, somebody touched me. Of course, the disciples thought that was ludicrous. Somebody touched you. Everybody's touching you. No, he meant touched him. Touched him. Touched him with faith. Will you touch Jesus with faith? You come to the Lord Jesus willing to believe that he is who he said he was, and he'll stop for you. He'll stop what he's doing for you. And boy, he healed her. What a thrill. The Bible says she felt that the, the, the blood staunch stop. And she felt she was healed. What a day that is. Jesus will send the long, sad, sick ones away, whole and rejoicing. He sent the expectant away in hope. Finally, he comes to the ascension. And, and, and there's two angels there. And Jesus goes, Bible says, goes up to heaven in a cloud. And it says, you men of Galilee. Why stand you gazing into heaven? The same Jesus which is taken up from you in heaven shall so come in like manner. You know, we born again Christians, no matter how dark the day gets, we have hope. Hope. And hope, brother, you can make it through anything if you got hope. I mean real hope. I'm not talking pie in the sky. I'm not talking something we make up, but real hope. You can make it through anything. Jesus sent the doubting away believing. You know who I'm talking about, old Thomas. I hate to say it, but he's got a nickname, Doubting Thomas. I don't think really he had any more doubts than anybody else would have in that situation. But I like Jesus when he got in, in Thomas's presence. He said, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. Be not faithless, but believing. And, of course, Thomas fell down in front of him and said, my Lord, my why is he greater than Solomon? He sent a skeptic away believing in John chapter 11. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And I ask you the question he asked them. Believest thou this? Believest thou this? Do you know I'm never going to die? My mom and dad never died. The people I buried, 150 some odd Christian people, I believe I buried, they never died. They just moved. They moved, brother. Right now, they're on the other side. There's a, there's a contingency of old gospel Baptist people in heaven by the grace of God. And they're rooting for us to keep doing what we're supposed to be doing and what we know to do is right and keep preaching the gospel and keep singing the songs of Zion, keep going out in the world and preaching the gospel to every creature and do it every way you can that's moral and, moral and legal and keep 
keep talking and lifting up Jesus. Why? Because he's greater than Solomon. Greater than Solomon is here, folks, right now at gospel. You know, Jesus Christ is the Savior. Is he your Savior? Is he your personal Savior or just a Savior? Now, look, a lot of people look at Jesus like an institution. I'm a Catholic. I'm an Episcopalian. I'm a Presbyterian. Even some would say I'm a Baptist, and they're relying on that to be saved. Brother, you don't get that. There'll be no Baptists, no Presbyterians, no Episcopalians, no Catholics, and any other name you want to say in heaven. There'll be those who were born again by the very Word of God and the Spirit of God. That's all people are going to make in heaven that have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Jesus Christ is not an institution. He's not a church. He's not a confirmation. He's not an insurance policy. Boy, a lot of people treat Jesus as some sort of insurance policy. You know, they thought about it. They made a decision. They signed a piece of paper, and then they forget it and put it in a drawer. Do they need him? That's not a born-again Christian. Jesus Christ is not some dead, cold decision, but a living, ruling Lord. He said, why call me Lord, Lord, and do not those things which I ask? Well, if you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, yes, a Christian can backslide. Yes, for a short period of time, a Christian can act like he's not a Christian. But you know the difference between a Christian and a not a Christian? A real Christian can't stay there. A real Christian can't stay there. They're going to be miserable. They're going to be the most miserable they've ever been in their whole existence. More miserable than the world is is a backslidden Christian. But brother, if you're a Christian born from the Spirit of God and he's in here, he's not going to let you rest. He's not going to let you view that old junk you used to view. He's not going to let you do that old junk you used to do. He's not going to let you say the old stuff you used to say. He's not going to let you lust the way you used to lust. He's going to convict you and there's going to be a sorrow of heart come over you like you've never had before. That's a testimony that you're a child of God. You say, well, Brother Bill, I can go to Foxy Ladies. I can go to Twin Peaks. I don't have a problem. You got a problem. Jesus Christ, if he's in your life, he'll change you. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? There's a greater than Solomon here. What do we say to these things? Well, I say, if God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall not he with him freely give us all things? That's promise. I don't believe God is going to hold back one thing from you that you don't need. You believe that? The Bible says it. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but he'll not withhold one good thing to them that walk uprightly. Not one. You believe it? If you'll serve him, if you live for him, man, I don't know why everybody doesn't say, I want to give everything I have to Jesus because he'll come and help you. Why is he greater than Solomon? Oh, Jesus is so much greater than Solomon. Solomon couldn't save anybody. And Solomon didn't do half or even a portion of what Jesus Christ did. Why? Because it says in the Bible, and I want you to take your Bibles for this verse, and we're going to close. I want to take your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Now, if your Bible don't read this way, you get one that does. 
If you've got a Bible, don't read this way, then you're getting shorted and your Bible's not accurate. 1 Timothy 3.16. Allow controversy. Great is a mystery of godliness. And here's the phrase. God. The word in Greek, theos. Theos, the word for God, was manifest in the flesh. See, Jesus wasn't just anybody. He was God, manifest in the flesh. And he came one time for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. How many begotten sons are there? One. Jesus came one time, sacrificed himself one time for your sin and for mine, and was resurrected one time so that now he offers you the gift of eternal life by faith in him. If the Bible says, if you'll, I like what our brother said Sunday school, repentance and faith, it's the same coin, two different sides. People who got saved in the Bible, they repented and trusted Christ. Repentance means simply, the Bible says repentance is godly sorrow. 1 Corinthians 7. Godly sorrow worketh you to a place of repentance. The Holy Spirit makes you sorrow, sorrowful over where you've betrayed him and where you've lied and where you've cheated and all the wrong things you've done. And he brings you to a place of sorrow. One person said you first got to have a sense of, of sadness. And then you trust Christ and you get a sense of gladness. Oh, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me that people sometimes are so upset when they come to church unsaved, and they leave, and they're upset, and they go home, and they're upset, and they come back the next week, and they get more upset, and they go home, and they're more upset. That preacher, that's the Holy Spirit. He's making you realize that you need to be saved, that you need God, because one greater than Solomon is here. Don't miss him. Father, help us this morning. Oh, may the Spirit of God come through these pla this place and may he convict and raise up the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for the Lord Jesus. Thank you that we know, we know by his Holy Spirit, his testify with our spirit that we are his. May there be anybody in this room today that would say, Brother Bill, I don't know what the, with the organ softly playing, just as I am. You may be here, and I don't do this very often, but I'm going to do it this morning. You say, Brother Bill, with every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around, please, nobody looking around. It's absolutely private between you and me and God. You say, Brother Bill, if I died today in the position and the condition I'm in, I do not believe, I really doubt whether I'd go to heaven. Would you let me pray for you? I'll not call you out. I'll not make any embarrassment at all, but I want to pray for you. But before God and you and me, you say, Brother Bill, I'm struggling in this area. I want, to, I want to know I know Christ is my Savior. Would you, anybody in this room say, Brother Bill, please pray for me on this. I'm struggling in this area. Anybody here this morning? Anybody here? The invitation's not over. It's because I quit talking and we dismiss. The Spirit of God's touching you. Oh, make that decision. Come talk to us. Father, we pray that you'd save somebody here today. Some folks here today may be some on the fringe of this thing messing around. Help them get serious. And maybe Christians out there that have been saved, but you've wandered back into the old things that you've been saved and were saved out of. Oh, my. One greater than Solomon is here. Don't go back. May the Lord help you, strengthen you as you come back to him.
Father, we pray that you'd anoint us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.